This is the Humanity First Podcast. I am Chris Ryan. Appreciate you joining us for the show as we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day yesterday. That has brought about a lot of reflection for Peter Evers, who is uh, the co-host of this show, the president and CEO of Bamsey, and myself about you know where we are as a nation at this point in time. Uh, two weeks ago, Wednesday, we saw the violent siege on the U.S. Capitol, which left uh, six individuals dead, including two police officers and one who took his own life and you know where we are as a country where in the minds of many we are as divided as we have ever been and you know the thoughts of what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for the civil disobedience the one America coming together the I have a dream speech where everyone is able to understand their commonalities and come together around common cause and purpose for what is good for our country uh, it seems very, very long ago um, that that took place, and quite honestly, it wasn't you know that long ago. With uh, 57 years uh, separating uh, the "I Have a Dream" speech in 1963 to where we sit today, but um, it feels that Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, you know, has kind of fallen in one of those arcs of history where he it's we seem further in a lot of ways. Now, granted the um, justice from a um, from a voting rights and from a legal standpoint, those were achievements of his and John Lewis's. But you know, with those achievements, there have you know people have taken things in a different direction, and it's kind of you know a pendulum swinging back and forth. And you know, we are obviously hopeful that we get to a place where all Americans are seen as equal under the law in business, and in the minds of others. But um, we still feel a long way off from that. We sure do, Chris. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think I think you're right about the, the pendulum swinging. You know, um, it's in some ways, I think about the, the arc of recovery and, and addiction, that it's not linear. And, and I think our progress uh, in terms of civil rights, uh, in terms of racial justice, has not been linear. I think there have been times when there have been surges, when people sort of seem to get it. And I think uh, George Floyd's murder at the hands of the police this summer was one of those moments when people said, oh, yes, that is measurable inequality. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen a video of it. I think I've also, you know, I was watching Drew Brees last night on um, on the television winning, uh, sorry, losing <laughs> a game against Tom Brady. And I think about the first thing I remembered about about Drew Brees was around about the time of George, George Floyd's murder. He said something like, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a good idea. And he was roundly condemned, whereas we'd had a president who was saying, you know, they should fire people who take a knee. That transformation over that period of time was amazing. Yet that little uh, nugget is enclosed in four years where we where the linear nature has been disrupted by a downward curve uh, by you know a president who scratched the surface of racism in this country um, and out came many people who you would think would fit into a bracket of the 19 the early 1960s or the late 1950s so it just reminds you that the struggle for racial justice and equality um, is never one which will be over, but one we'll be able to take advantage of when we have moments and keep pushing that and keep telling that story. And that's the wonder of Martin Luther King. And 
he once said after he'd made the I Have a Dream speech a couple of years afterwards or whatever, when things weren't going so well, he goes, he said, despite the difficulties and despite all of the things around us that's, that suggest otherwise, I still have a dream. And I feel that that is one of his best quotes. It's not very well known, and I actually didn't quote him directly, but it, it, it's sort of how his vision, despite all the disruptions, um, kept him going in a way. Yeah, Lyndon Johnson and Martin Luther King Jr. did not have a great relationship. And you know the fact that Lyndon Johnson became the individual that signed the Civil Rights Act, in my view, shows what is possible. And, you know, a lot of times there is a, a trade-off or a reckoning that has to take place in order for individuals to, quote-unquote, do the right thing in instances. And, you know, I feel that um, things are going to actually get better. I feel like um, it is better to have, and this is you know, one of the debates around censorship and around what uh, Twitter is doing and what other social media companies are are doing in um, censoring individuals. I feel it's better to have a lot of things out in the open so that you're able to understand where individuals sit, what they think, and then you can have a conversation. If everyone is just you know, being polite and sitting on their hands and playing a part and a role, you, you don't know where people sit. You don't know what they really think. And you know, to me... The the way forward is an honest and open dialogue amongst individuals that seeks to find the commonality that they have, as opposed to just going back and you know pretending that things are better because laws are in place or because an African American has been elected president of the United States. Um, to me, the only way to move the arc of equality further towards justice and equality and equality is to have tough conversations. And that's part of what we have started to do at Bamsey as well. And acknowledging where things have taken place and letting people feel throughout the organization that they are empowered to talk about what they feel is wrong. It doesn't mean necessarily it's going to change or doesn't necessarily mean their perspective is correct. Um, but it does need to take place because if there is just a individual sitting on their thoughts and emotions, then you don't know where people stand or sit. You don't know how to make changes and you can't take into account all of the, um, views that may not line up with one another. Yeah, I agree entirely. It's also important that we begin to change um the look of organizations and not just bamsey but you know i i like your point you know it, i remember what i think it was one of the major newsreaders said who said you know is this the beginning of a post-racist society the day that um, barack obama was elected and looking back on it that's a strange question to ask given the context of one person being elected as as uh, president of the united states and, and it's what's more important is to address the inequalities right through the system and look at, um, you know, like the NFL, for instance. I was thinking about that last night. How many, <clears throat> how many players in the NFL are black and how many coaches are black? You know, those are some of the issues we have to address. We have to give opportunities to people. And it's not because those people don't have the talent. It's because they haven't had the opportunity and when you begin to replace 
some of those faces with faces of color, then you realize the, the, the kids that are coming through saying, I could do that. I could be that person. And that's, I think that's what Dr. King talked about a lot. And it wasn't just about fighting for, you know, African-Americans. He was fighting for everyone. And the, the march that, that should have happened before his, uh, after his um, assassination um, was the Poor People's March. Mm-hmm. It was a march that said, you know, we need, everybody needs to, to be raised up. Uh, and so he was a poverty activist as well. So it, really his message is as clear today and as important today uh, as it was, you know, back in, in, in the early 1960s. I think that America is about the equality of opportunity. And that is where we achieve true equality. I think that, you know, you look at New Hampshire as an example, when we had an all-female delegation. The reason that that was historic was because it was all-female delegation. But to me, it was the three best candidates in each of the races that won. And to me, that is true equality. Greg Popovich, the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, um, hired Becky Hammond probably about five, eight years ago. um, And... She became the first woman to coach in an NBA game, and he downplayed that it was a big deal because he didn't see it in his view as a big deal because she was a great coach and knows the game as good as anybody, and she happens to be a woman. And But he deserves credit for providing that opportunity when the opportunity you know, would not be provided before. So I feel that it is incumbent upon all organizations to provide that um, equality of opportunity. And that is where things have been missing in the past. It's not because um, in order for individuals to, you know, to rise and have success, you know, that opportunity has to be um, presented to them. Brett Arbach um, had the first African American, all African American starting lineup for the Boston Celtics. Why? Because he thought that gave them the best lineup to win the game. And, you know, to me, that is that is equality when you don't see race, when you don't see um, you know sexual orientation or gender, and it's you know putting the best people in the position to have success. And I think a lot of you know a lot of different things have to take place in our country in order for us to get to that point. I think that we need to show at a very young age how much we believe in. And women, how much we believe in minorities, and you know, provide the ample education and opportunity down the road in order for um, those individuals to have success. And um, there's been a lot of discussion about how that takes place. And I, I firmly believe that you know, if there is ample opportunity, we will see a proportional um, representation present itself because of the fact that those individuals are equally qualified and all human beings are equal. Right. I I agree with you, Chris, but I would say that um, there's a lot of undoing that has to happen. Um, You know, I think a lot of times when people get angry about equal opportunity, it's because they are the beneficiaries of unequal right. opportunity right. For, for generations. Yep. Uh, and you, you can trace that back to, you know, um, slavery and emancipation mm-hmm. and all of the things that happened post-emancipation. And, and so to sort of dismiss that 
And, and oftentimes you hear that. It's like, well, you know, why are we still talking about things that, you know, are 100 or 200 years ago? Because those are the seeds of injustice that were that were sown in this country and other countries, of course. Um, and so it is, you know, somebody said the other day, you can't just hope that it'll happen. You have to change some of that paradigm. You have to make it so that the brightest and the best minds, regardless of what you said before, race uh, and gender, have opportunities. And I would, I would venture to say, if you look at, um, if you look at Congress now, um, you know, twenty percent of the people in Congress are, are, are women, and yet fifty percent of Congress is, uh, you know, is uh, sorry, of the population is female. So we have a lot of work to do. And, and it's good. We're moving. That's right. I agree with you. We're moving in the right direction. But, you know, we you don't ask people to be patient about this. Those people who have not had those uh, opportunities over the years, it is incumbent upon us all to to do the work um, to make sure that it does happen. You're right. But you also look at the arc of our history and uh, take a look at African-Americans' plights in this country. It took 100 years for um, slaves to be freed. It took 100 years for uh, individuals who are African-American to receive equal rights under the law. So is it going to take another six or 40 years for um, true equality to be achieved? It might. Um, and I understand that's a, that's a horrible thing for people to hear. Um, but that is for whatever reason, the history of our nation. And a lot of it, as you reference, is that pushing back that occurs from white males. And um, we, as a, as, a, a, as a white male, uh, I'd say very often uh, pull up the ladder on individuals. Mm-hmm. And you know, may, we may talk about equality and talk about things taking place, but what are we doing to achieve that um, equality and to provide opportunities for other individuals because yes it is all about opportunities and you look across um whether it's in politics or media or wherever there's a lot of opportunities for uh individuals that are family members um and uh relatives neighbor uh, neighbors friends of uh, friends and so forth um but you know are we looking out and providing opportunities for others the way that we should and um, I think that that's a part of a serious reflection followed by action that uh, needs to take place. Um, so on the show today, I want to do a couple things. I want to look back at uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and we're going to hear a little of his uh, a little of his "I Had a Dream" speech. And also, I had the opportunity to talk uh, a couple years ago to John Lewis, who um, marched side by side with Martin Luther King Jr. He's one of the leaders of the civil rights movement in our country before serving as a congressman uh, for decades uh, for a district in Atlanta, Georgia. So the Langston, Langston Hughes, the individual who um, wrote I Dream a World, which is the poem from which um, Martin Luther King Jr. based um, the uh, most significant aspects of his I Have a Dream speech. And Peter found that online and wanted to, to read a little bit of that to set the context for um, a little of the Martin Luther King Jr. speech. Yeah, thanks, uh, Chris. I, I, you know, when you think about that speech um, and how it has resonated with so many people, his, um, Martin Luther King's inspiration came from Langston Hughes. And that's no surprise if anybody is familiar with Langston Hughes. 
But if I, uh, if I can indulge myself and everybody else in reading this poem, I think it will give you some idea of where that uh, inspiration came from. As I say, it was called I Dream a World. I dream a world where man, no other man will scorn, where love will bless the earth and peace its path adorn. I dream a world where all will know sweet freedom's way, where greed no longer saps the soul, nor avarice blights our day. A world I dream where black and white, whatever race you be, will share the bounties of the earth and every man is free, where wretchedness will hang its head and joy like a pearl attends the needs of all mankind. Of such I dream my world. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of Freedom and justice. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is a faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, 
This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring. From the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, let freedom ring. From the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado, let freedom ring. From the curvaceous slopes of California, but not only that, let freedom ring. From Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. I spoke with uh, John Lewis about four years ago when uh, he was campaigning in New Hampshire for Hillary Clinton. This was truly one of the most um, awe-inspiring, amazing interviews I've done in, uh, in my career. Here's a little bit of that. Did you think, you know, back in, in 1965 and past that, when it seemed that segregation was finally and justly put in the rearview mirror of American history, did you think that progress would continue to the point where um, the fight would not have to still go on, where the fight would not be as prevalent as it is right now in the course of this election for, you know, equality uh, for individuals across the board? Did you expect the fight to keep going even as you achieved, you know, the, the successes in regards to laws and, and legislation in the, in the late 60s? And does the current climate surprise you? I really did uh, believe that somehow and some way we were laying down the division, the conflict, laying down the burden of race and hate. But uh, I've been quite disappointed uh, to see the the rise of putting people down because of their religion, their faith, uh, the part of the world that people come from. And we made a lot of progress. That cannot be denied. We have made a lot of progress. If someone had told me that one day I would live to see the first African-American become president, I would say, you're crazy. If you're out of your mind, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, we've been witness, and now we're on the verge of seeing the first woman become president of the United States. That's another step forward. We must continue to go forward. America is still in the process of becoming. Our nation is a very young nation. Many, many nations have been around many, 
many years and centuries. But we would get there. We would lay down our heavy burdens, and we would move toward the creation of what I like to call a beloved community, where we would respect the dignity and the worth of every human being. I think you brought up a key point, you know, in in what we've seen in this election in regards to religion and race. And, you know, to me, uh, the um, the grandson of Irish immigrants, I felt the same things, you know, that were being discussed about um, Muslims, that were being discussed about Mexicans. I The stories of my ancestors are that of, you know, the oppression against the Irish people. Uh, Irish need not, need not apply, uh, the, the denigration of Catholics and so forth. For you, did you do you do you feel those same feelings of? Does uh, it stir up the emotions of the early '60s for you when you hear about the immigrants uh, and the degra- denigrating of immigrants and you know, uh, religious uh, litmus tests to come into our country? Uh, it disturbed me to my very core when people talk about building a wall or shutting people out. You know, we all come from some place else. When Pope Francis came and spoke to a joint session of the Congress, he said, in effect, we all are immigrants. And as I've said so many times and paraphrased the words of the late labor leader, A. Philip Randolph, maybe our foremothers and our forefathers all came to this great land in different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. I have traveled to Ireland, and I traveled to other parts of the world, and I hear the stories uh, how people are treated here in this country and in other parts of the world. People just want to be free. They want to be treated like humans. We, uh, we must be kind and supportive of all of our fellow human beings. That is uh, John Lewis, civil rights icon, congressman from Atlanta, Georgia, joining us here on the program. And as a part of so many of the significant moments that led to uh, full desegregation of our country, and you know, first and foremost, thinking about Bloody Sunday and March the seventh, nineteen sixty-five, and you walking across the bridge in Selma, and I see so much hate at these rallies and people who are frustrated based upon, in my view, their economic condition and are looking for for scapegoats. And I think that moving forward, everyone needs to be a part of America. As you mentioned before, the people who are doing the hating right now need to be a part of our country moving forward. And for you, when you saw a Alabama state trooper, when you saw a, a white individual meet you on that bridge and have a club and and beat you what did you see in their their eyes and in you know their hearts and did you see fear did you see individuals who are redeemable um because that's one of the the great stories in my view of of the civil rights era is yourself martin luther king and others um did not give up on uh people despite the fact that they had such hate and such wrongfulness in what they wanted to achieve? Well, during the day of the march, uh, attempted march from Selma to Montgomery, there was a tremendous amount of fear and some bitterness and maybe some hate 
toward what we were all about. We were just seeking the right to vote, trying to dramatize the issue. We were marching in an orderly, peaceful, nonviolent fashion that is protected by the Constitution of the United States. People have a right to peacefully assemble, to peacefully protest. But we were beaten, trampled by horses, or tear gas, and left bloody. I thought I was going to die on that bridge. But years later, there have been individuals, uh, including the governor, uh, the late governor of Alabama, Governor George Wallace, who apologized for what happened. And when I go back to Selma now, uh, I'm treated like a, like a hero by the local officials, black and white. I go back to almost any part of the state of Alabama. So places have changed. We're different people. And that's a good thing about the changes that have occurred. The same way that people change in Selma and Montgomery and other parts of the South, people can change in America and grow. We must never give up on anyone. We must have that belief that we all can live like brothers and sisters as citizens, not just of America, but citizens of the world. Did you know what you could accomplish when you set out in 1961 the the SNCC as you know the chair of that becoming a part of the of the big six at what point in time did you realize because i think this is really important in terms of today as well because i think we need more john lewises and less donald trumps in this country we need to lead from the bottom as opposed to um hoping that the top is going to um and a strong man is going to bring us prosperity at what point in time did you believe that you could uh, achieve what was right and that you could make Lyndon Johnson and everyone else realize that this is the way that, that we should go? Did you instantly, when you set out, say, this is what we're going to achieve, we're going to be able to do it? Or was there a point in time where you realized, we can do this? Well, as a, as a young student, uh, I heard of Rosa Parks, and I met Rosa Parks when I was 17, heard of her when I was 15. Heard of Dr. King when I was 15, met him at the age of 18, and I truly believed during those days that we could succeed, that we could bring down those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women. I, I believe that one day we will be able to register and vote, and people could get elected to office. I believe that. And then I, I heard President Kennedy speak to the nation and later President Johnson. And I kept saying to myself and to others, we can do this. We can create the climate, the environment, and make it happen. And with the leadership of men and women of goodwill, blacks and whites, Protestant, Catholic, and Jewish, we came together and we changed America forever. And right now it seems that the, you know, the movement, the grassroots of this country it can be spurred easier via social media and the fact that individuals can be connected for good and bad, as we've seen in this election. Um, it seems that the, the fight that is out there now is one where um, working people, working Americans, impoverished Americans who are not finding the ability to climb the income ladder feel that they, that Washington, D.C. is rigged against them. I shouldn't use the word rigged. It seems to be popular these days, but we'll, we'll go with it anyway. Um, it is, it, the system is, is rigged against them. Do you feel that that is, that is correct, 
and that um, whether it's individuals of color, whether it's uh, people who used to work in the paper mill in, in Berlin, New Hampshire, um, that the system is set up so that they are not going to, to have success. And do you think that that is, in some ways, going to be the next kind of rising, as we've seen in the course of this election? Supporters of Bernie Sanders, supporters of Donald Trump are united by, it would appear, the, fee- the feeling that business and D.C. Is, is working against them. I think it's important that we reach out to all segments of the society and go back to where Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy left off. It's too sad uh, to believe that these two young leaders were taken from us at such an early age, back in 1968. But when Dr. King was organizing the Poor People Campaign, he was trying to bring us all together uh, with his effort in Washington. He really never really made it to Washington. And we still must bring people together to work together and pull together. But we all in the final analysis are in the same boat. Final thing. Um, you- so, Peter, what brings me hope and optimism about our future is the hope that we get back to a place where we understand that the American dream is about opportunity. The American dream is not, you are going to get this, you are going to be provided this. It is, in my view, an equality of opportunity. And we have fallen short of that dream for generations of Americans. Just being born an American does not provide you opportunity. It does for some Americans, but it does not for all. We need to find a place as a nation where equality of opportunity is presented and that any individual has the ability to achieve whatever they wish. And that dream is there. It exists. Um, There are various individuals who have better chances at things at this point in time. Um, And how that gets sorted out, I think it gets sorted out via equality of opportunity. And that, to me, again, is the American dream. That is the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. That is the dream of um, John Lewis, that each individual has the right to vote, that each individual has the right to pursue uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of, of happiness. It is not a guarantee. It is an opportunity. And that opportunity is what makes our country better than, than all others. And we have to be, though, diligent and cognizant of making sure that that opportunity is provided. Because without that, we are not America. I couldn't agree more, Chris. And, and you know, extraordinary well said. And I, I share your hope. I think that this generation that's coming up, I think of my children, I think of your children, probably a different generation, but their thinking is different. The people that they know is different. There is much more sharing of opportunities, sharing of experience and sharing of friendships than perhaps in my generation there was. And I, I, I do, I share that optimism, but I think I also share the fact that we all have a burden to be intentional about this and have difficult conversations, just like we started this this podcast. 
there are difficult conversations to be had and we shouldn't shy away from them. We should take every opportunity to address injustice uh, when we see it. And we need to be brave. We don't need to be allies so much as co-competence in this fight against inequality. That is uh, very well said, Peter, as always. Appreciate joining us uh, for the podcast. And uh, next week, we'll be joined by Ruth Mentor, who's an individual who's been doing extraordinary work uh, in our organization. And she's going to tell her story, which is going to be displayed via uh, some media advertisements, as well as a part of our I Am Essential campaign. Excited to have Ruth join us on uh, the program next week. As always, have a great rest of the day, everybody. 